Yes, well, Donald Trump was right, my friends. He was absolutely right when he said that Washington, in its current state, is a swamp, and that swamp needs to be drained. And you need look no further than the unholy alliances that are being made between Republicans who ought to know better when they back other Republicans who they shouldn't be backing, and when they have a very, very chummy, chummy relationship with uh, people like the Clintons and the Obamas. And the man I'm talking about specifically is George W. Bush, a man who I used to support, a man who I stood by when he took us to war because I thought it was the right thing to do. But now, with the passage of time, his true colors are coming out, and we're going to get more in detail on that in a few short minutes, as well as a little bit of insight into his second-in-command, vice, former Vice President Dick Cheney. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of The Jamie Dury Show. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do so in one of three easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store and simply search out The Jamie Dury Show. We're listed in both, and click subscribe. Or you can download the Podbean app, which is a free app in either of those two app stores, and simply search out The Jamie Dury Show and subscribe that way. Regardless of which way you choose to subscribe, you'll be able to leave comments, leave reviews. We desperately need both. The more we get of each, the faster the show will grow, and the more we can bring to you with the way of news and information. If you'd like to send a message to me or have me come out and speak to your group, community, a council, a church group, or a local political club, you can send an email to Jamie Dury. That's J A M I E D U R I E 1776 at gmail.com. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, you can also reach me at the, that email address. So, why am I now suddenly up in arms at George W. Bush? Well, I'm not suddenly up in arms about George W. Bush, but I am deeply disappointed in George W. Bush. George W. Bush has elected to back Liz Cheney in her re-election bid for Congress. Now, a bigger piece of crap you'd be hard-pressed to find than Liz Cheney. And a little insight I'm going to tell you about her father uh, would probably not surprise you, uh, and although you probably don't know about it, and indicate that he's not the most forthcoming or honest of men either. <clears throat> and I think you'll agree when you hear what I have to say. Liz Cheney was one of the more vocal critics of President Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump is no question is an outsider. He was not part of the in crowd of the Republican Party, and the Republican Party didn't like him. The bottom line is whether people are Republicans today or Democrats, they're all part of the in crowd. They're all using the political system to do something the founding fathers never envisioned. They're using politics, professional politics, to enrich themselves. People come into office in Washington as paupers and leave as millionaires, never suffering the indignities that they foist upon the rest of us. It continues right up to the present day. Joe Biden, who doesn't even know he's alive, is signing executive orders and mandating that all federal employees have to get the vaccination. The military has to get the vaccination. The uh, 
pilots will soon have to get, the, although they're not federal employees, but the military has to get the vaccination. The FBI has to get vaccination. First responders have to get vaccination. All manner of federal employees have to get vaccinated. But isn't it curious that Congress is exempt from having to get the vaccination? None of the 435 members of the House of Representatives or the 100 members of the United States Senate or anyone on their respective staffs have to get the vaccination. But yet companies in the private sector who aren't even members of the government under Sleepy Joe's mandate are going to have to get all their employees vaccinated if they have over 100 employees. Seems to me at the Senate at being 100 and Congress at being 435, they're over 100. They shouldn't be exempt. But it's a classic case of rules for thee, not for me. And that's what's going on there. Now, Liz Cheney was a strong critic of Donald Trump. She did nothing to defend him when that election was stolen. And there is more on that in short order. Uh, how the election was stolen. But I wanted to lead off with this because I didn't want to forget anything and I wanted to hit it. Liz Cheney mocked Trump recently, saying, um, I like Republican presidents who win re-election. Yes, so do I, Ms. Cheney. And perhaps he would have won re-election if it wasn't for pieces of human refuse like yourself, not lifting a bloody finger and actually actively undermining him. And now George W. Bush is coming out backing this woman against Donald Trump because Donald Trump has targeted a number of people in Congress to be primaried and removed because he felt they didn't do what they needed to do. Trump fired off a statement on Wednesday accusing Mr. Bush of being a rhino, meaning Republican in name only, and criticizing him for launching the U.S. invasions of both Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, that's nothing new. Trump was a critic of George W. back when George W. was president over those very same issues. The statement, Rhino former President George W. Bush and his flunky, Karl Rove, are endorsing warmongering and very low polling Liz Cheney. Bush is the one who got us into the quicksand of the Middle East and after spending trillions of dollars and killing nearly a million people, the Middle East was left in worse shape after 21 years than it was when he started his stupidity, Mr. Trump said. Now, it's kind of difficult to argue with, that, with much of that statement. The Middle East is in no better shape now than it was then after all the money and treasure we invested in there and the, the millions of people, a uh, million people that were killed, to say nothing of the thousands of Americans who were killed and maimed fighting there. Now, the original logic of going there that we can, if we fight the terrorists there in their home ground, we won't have to fight them here. Uh, there's a certain merit to that logic. Uh, but we didn't get back what we invested. We should have been paid for what we did. We should have been given oil for what we did. We shouldn't be going through this. We shouldn't be leaving uh, millions and billions of dollars in military equipment for the Taliban to use against us and other people. And we shouldn't be leaving those uh, military dogs to be tortured by those thugs that call themselves a government in that third world dump, the te- uh, Afghanistan, but we're doing it. Maybe another response might have been better. Maybe just nuke the whole damn place. It's a desert anyway. Might as well make it a radioactive desert. But this is nothing new. The establishment 
Eisenhower talked about the industrial complex. They love to get into wars. They make a lot of money, especially since they're not the ones that are dying. Now, I researched an issue many years ago while this war was going on, because, and this is where I'm going to reference Dick Cheney, and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. If Dick Cheney is capable of this, I'm sure his daughter is right along there with him. Back during the war, there was much made of these no-bid contracts that were given to many um, private contractors to do things for the military that the military was no longer doing. And everyone said that it was uh, corrupt because these contracts were given out with no bidding, uh, and they were given out to Halliburton in many cases. Now, Halliburton was the company, does many things, oil exploration among them, that Dick Cheney was working for before he left Halliburton to run for vice president on the ticket with George W. Bush and then divested himself of all of his holdings in Halliburton so there wouldn't be a conflict of interest. And at first blush, it looks like there should be a conflict of interest there or that there is something untoward that his former company gets these contracts. But what most people didn't know Uh, and I didn't know until I looked into it, is that in the closing days, or during the course of, I don't know if it was actually the closing days, but during the course of the administration of the first President Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush, a new program was launched. It was called LOGCAP. It was an acronym. It stood for the Logistics Civil Augmentation Program. I don't think you'll get this information anywhere else other than this podcast, so pass it around. It was done in response to the downsizing of the American military uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, where many people in the government felt that we didn't need to be as formidable as we once were because a major threat was no longer on the horizon. And so how do you downsize without losing your combat strength? Well, what happened was... Many support services that had previously been done by the military were now going to be farmed out to private contractors. Now, the procurement process, the vetting of vendors and so forth, is a long process. And when a war breaks out, you don't really have the luxury of time. You need to make these deals quickly. So instead of doing these things at the time when we need them, What the Civil Augmentation Program did, the Logistics Civil Augmentation Program did was, every so many years, I think it was five years or something like that, the government would put out a contract for bid. It was like an omnibus contract, a large super contract, where they would say, okay, we're putting out for bid to get a company who will give us Supply services, do laundry, provide meals, things like that, in any theater of operation where we may have to deploy. And you will be the exclusive provider of those services for the length of this contract. If nothing happens, of course, then you don't really get much work, but if something jumps off, you get it. And they put it out for bid. Well, the problem with that is that even though they do put it out for bid, only a few companies in, in the world or in America are large enough to do something like that because you can only get under the, cor- under the terms of this contract 
I think, 1% markup on capital invested, 1% or 2%. And if you meet certain performance uh, trigger marks or performance points, you can get up to 8% additional profit. So nobody's getting super rich in terms of percentage of profit on top of capital expended in the operation. But this is what happened. Now, at the time, there were only really two companies that were bidding on this contract. One was DynCorp, and the other was Halliburton. And I can understand, I can sympathize with um, the Bush administration at that time for feeling a little bit put upon by the media when they tried to say they were giving it to Halliburton, because it's rather like when police departments try and put in bids for radio cars. You really don't have much of a choice. You had either Ford's LTD or the Chevy Impala. So one of the two was going to get it. It was a 50-50 chance. Well, the very first log cap contract that was awarded was awarded to Halliburton under the first President Bush. It came up for rebidding during the first term of the Clinton administration when they were involved in uh, Bosnia. Now, at that time, right before Bosnia, actually. Now, at that time, DynCorp won the bidding, and they had the contract. Notwithstanding DynCorp's winning it. Yes, that's correct. Now I remember. Clinton was already in Bosnia, and it was in the tail end of the contract with Halliburton. Now, DynCorp now took over the contract. But since Halliburton was already there, and since they had experience and expertise in that particular theater of operation. The Clinton administration, notwithstanding the new contract granted to DynCorp, elected to issue a sole source contract to Halliburton just to finish its commitment in Bosnia, not to give them any other work around the globe in any other theater of operation should, should some other conflict or deployment jump off. Now, if Bush had done that, if he had given that contract to uh, Halliburton, and the roles were reversed when DynCorp won it, they'd be hearing people screaming like stuck pigs. But it was, it was all on the up and up when Clinton did this. It was all on the up and up when they gave it to him. Now, in the interim, Clinton was there for two terms. In subsequent bidding operations, DynCorp was outbid by Halliburton. Halliburton won it. So when the Middle East contract jumped off, Halliburton was the company that had the log cap contract. Now, one could argue that knowing that log cap had the contract, that maybe Bush and Cheney put their heads together and decided to go into these wars because they knew that their old company or Cheney's old company would get the money and maybe there was a kickback. I don't think anybody's ever demonstrated any evidence of that, but that's the type of thing that conspiracy theories are based on. Now, here's my problem with Dick Cheney. I saw Dick Cheney it was either on Fox News or it was on Meet the Press, because those are about the only two Sunday morning talk shows I would watch. Face the Nation is ninth in a field of eight. Um, and they put the question to him, how did Halliburton get this contract? And he said, I don't know. Now, that was as disingenuous an answer as can be, because during the course of the first Bush administration, Dick Cheney was the Secretary of War, of Defense. Not Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense. 
And he was one of the primary authors of the log cap program. So if anyone knew about the existence of the log cap program, if anyone should have known about the existence of the log cap program, it should have been Dick Cheney. Now, Dick Cheney was a very good speaker and very good at defending himself and explaining and thinking on his feet. It should have been no difficulty for him to explain what I just explained now. But instead, he pulls a a mulligan and says, I, I don't know. I don't know. You don't know? You don't know. It was a very defensible thing to say, and he didn't do it. So the fact that he didn't give that information, he couldn't be that stupid. And he couldn't have forgotten that he authored the program. So now I'm given to wonder just what was the real motivation for going into those countries, doing what they did, and spending what they did, and how much did they personally profit from that venture. And now we have his daughter, who's going after a man who was against all that, Donald Trump, a man who said we shouldn't get into needless wars, a man who didn't deploy our troops in any new theater of operation in the four years he was there, a man who brought greater stability to the world because he intimidated people who were threatening to destabilize the world, like that little nut job over in North Korea. He set the Chinese back on their heels with the trade deals and by having a big military. And now an election is stolen out from under him and the daughter of the man who was part of the military-industrial complex that profited tremendously over our foreign wars that we got in goes against him and does nothing to lift a finger and accuses him of treason and trying to call out a riot in Washington. Mr. Bush, for you to support this woman is contemptible. It's actually beneath contempt. And the fact that you are supporting her, I don't care how friendly you are with Dick Cheney, this woman is not deserving of any support. And when I look at that and couple it with your cozy relationship with Michelle Obama, and Barack Obama, and the Clintons. The question becomes, just who the hell's side are you on? I think we know that. You're not on America's side, Pally. Not by a long shot. I thought history would treat you kindly. It's not going to. You're a traitor. You're a traitor to the conservative movement. No different than Bill Kristol of the Weekly Standard who advocated all these policies, but then when Trump instituted them, he couldn't stand it because it was Trump, an outsider doing it, not one of the in crowd. The way National Review magazine has lost its way since the death of William F. Buckley. Can't stand Trump. Buckley always said he would support the most viable candidate. Trump was the most viable candidate, and I find it hard to believe that Buckley wouldn't have supported Trump over Hillary Clinton for the greater good. But that's what you've got running for Congress in Wyoming, and that's who you've got supporting it. A man who's betrayed his country, as far as I'm concerned. So I thought you'd find that little story interesting, that little backstory about um, log cap and Dick Cheney's involvement, how it all works. Things you never hear covered. And by the way, the information I got about 
The story on LogCap was from an article I read probably 15 years ago or more, closer to maybe 16, 17, while the war was going on. And the article was in none other than National Review magazine, when it used to be a real magazine. Now, in other news, getting back to a collateral issue about how she failed to support Trump, there's been audits in Arizona, and we have reports on these audits. The Arizona Senate has been told of multiple inconsistencies found in the election audit. Now, you're going to hear a lot of misinformation here because they're going to tell you that it didn't really affect a lot of votes, that by the time they did the drafts and everything else, that that the review only involved uh, about 994 vote discrepancies in terms of the vote count in the presidential race and 1,167 in the U.S. Senate race. And therefore, it's of no consequence because the election margin of victory in Arizona was much wider than that, and this is much ado about nothing. But that's not the whole story. They're finding certain discrepancies of votes they actually allowed. But if you look further into the report, a company called Cyber Ninjas, a Florida-based company hired by the state Senate to conduct the audit, said they spent over 100,000 hours on this with more than 1,500 people. And in addition to giving you the numbers that it gave you, 944 vote discrepancy in the presidential race and 1,660, I'm sorry, 1,167 in the Senate race, the report also highlighted potential issues with a combined total of 53,305 ballots. 53,305 ballots. This includes a number of people where mail-in ballots were used for them to vote from prior addresses. 23,344 mail-in ballots voted from a prior address. This is according to the Cyber Ninja's final report, that 23,344 mail-in ballots were received from voters' previous addresses. How many of them moved out of Arizona and were no longer even living there? Quote, mail-in ballots were cast under voter registration IDs for people that may not have received their ballots by mail because they had moved. And no one with the same last name remained at the address. Through extensive data analysis, we have discovered approximately 23,344 votes that may have this condition. That means 23,344 votes were potentially cast by someone other than the people who were supposed to cast them. Or they were cast by people who deliberately left and did so when they'd already voted in another state. Now, the margin of victory wasn't 23,000 votes. It was far less. So don't tell me there wasn't fraud in it. Now, the Senate is now referring this matter to the Attorney General for the state of Arizona. Now, Maricopa County tried to refute the allegation, saying mail-in ballots are not forwarded to another address. It is also asserted that voting from a previous address is legal under federal law, such as in the case of American military and overseas voters. Yes, but there weren't 23,000 military and overseas voters. 
The county also said it had 20,933 one-time temporary dress requests for 2020. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? One-time temporary address requests for 20,000, almost 21,000 people. Here's another little tidbit of information that came out of this Cyber Ninjas audit. They found that 9,041 more ballots were returned by voters than were sent to them. According to the report, quote, 9,041 more ballots show as returned in the EV33 early voting returns file for a single individual who voted by mail than shown as sent to that individual within the EV32 early voting sent file. In other words, whatever number of of ballots were sent out for early voting, the number of ballots that came back exceeded the number of ballots that went out by over 9,000. So I think we had a 12,000 some odd vote margin of victory for Joe Biden in Arizona. And we find out that 9,000 ballots more came back than were sent out. That's almost smacks of fraud. Those ballots should be invalidated. Now the margin of error is 3,000. Those automatically have to be invalidated. You can't get more ballots coming back than you sent. So that right there knocks the margin down by 3,000 ballots. And now you have this other little piece of information that 23,340 mail-in ballots voted from prior addresses. Surely, four or 5,000 of those have to be fraudulent. And that changes the whole state to a Trump state. Now there's some other little anomalies in addition to what I just mentioned. Again, from the report, they noted that some 5,295 ballots were affected by voters who potentially voted in multiple counties. The company said that it compared Maricopa County's list of all its voters who cast a ballot in the election to the equivalent files of the other 14 Arizona counties to find a total of 5,047 voters with the same first, last, middle name, and birth year, representing some 10,342 votes among all counties. Quote, the ballot impacted was calculated by the total number of votes, subtracting the number of maximum number of potential unique people. This yielded 5,295. Separately, the company found that the number of ballots tallied in the official Maricopa results was 3,432 more than the total number of people who voted. The official results do not match the equivalent totals from the final vote file. Cyber Ninjas, I'm reading from an article, said the finding is significant because the number of individuals who showed up to vote should always match the number of votes cast. The company recommended that legislation that would require official canvas to fully reconcile with the final voted file should be considered. The Cyber Ninjas said in another finding that there were 2,592 more duplicate ballots than original ballots sent to duplication, a process 
used for replacing damaged or improperly marked ballots with a new ballot that preserves the voter's intent. So you've got X number of thousand ballots that were damaged and they're sent to be replaced with new ballots that don't alter the vote of the person who voted and doesn't alter their intention. But when these replacement ballots come back, there's 2,592 more of them than were sent there to be done. This is probably one of the more interesting parts, the quote said, that we had more duplicates than original ballots. According to our counts from our audit, we had 26,965 original ballots that had to be sent back because they were damaged and had to be replaced. And we had 29,557 that were duplicate ballots, and those numbers should be the same. Based on the number received from Maricopa County, we should have had 27,869 of both originals and duplicates, and they should have matched up perfectly, but they didn't. Other findings included 2,382 in-person voters who had moved out of Maricopa County and 2,081 voters who moved out of the state during the 29-day period preceding the election. Responding to the findings, the county said it had completed separate spot checks and found no discrepancies for either figures. But that's not true because Cyber Ninja didn't do spot checks. They did complete exhaustive analysis. Cyber Ninjas also reported that there were 1,551 votes counted in excess of the voters who voted, as well as a slew of other categories of findings that affected a smaller number of ballots. The point is, every conceivable facet of an election was exploited by the people who stole it. People could vote in an early voting. This is why early voting should be illegal. They voted a month before the election. Leave, go to another state, register and vote. They voted twice. All manner of fraud was afoot here from having more replacement ballots than were needed by having more votes cast, uh, more votes counted than votes that were actually cast, by having people who voted from previous addresses. There is all manner of fraud, all of it large enough to be on orders of magnitude greater than the voter discrepancy or the voter margin of victory in Arizona. So don't be waylaid or seduced by that first opening number that they only found a discrepancy of about 1,000 votes in the presidential election. That is a convenient figure. That's the figure they want to highlight. But that is not the telling figure in this report. So for those of you who still want to convince yourself that there was no voter fraud and everything was on the up and up and hunky-dory, don't believe it. This country is in deep, deep doo-doo. And it's because we have people who are actively trying to undermine it, undermine our election system, and turn us into a communist country. You're seeing it now. You're seeing it with fear. You're seeing it with uh, vaccination mandates. If these vaccines are so safe, now I took it. I'm not going to say I'm an anti-vaxxer. I took it, but I took it because I was getting bankrupted in my other businesses, as I told you before. I would be prevented in engaging in them if I did not have the vaccine. I work for myself. My family has to eat. So I accepted whatever health risk there was with the vaccine. But if healthcare workers do not wish to take the vaccine, and they presumably should be more knowledgeable in these areas than the rest of us, why should they be compelled? 
And why is it that they simply can't be tested every week? Because I do agree with that. If you work for a company or a firm that puts you in contact with the public or you're in, in a position of rendering aid and medical assistance to the public and you're unwilling to get the vaccine, then I think your employers and the government have a right to ask you to be tested frequently. I have no problem with that. But to say people have to get it or they're going to get fired or they're going to get put on unpaid medical leave is absolutely wrong. This is not communist Russia. This is not communist China. This is the American way. This is the United States of America, the shining city on a hill, as Ronald Reagan put it. And we deserve better than to have elections stolen and needles shoved into our arm with God knows what by a power that we don't even know because the man in the White House is not the one calling the shots. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm Jamie Dury.